Last week on DataPoint, we began a two-week mini-series focused on unlocking the value for the patient in the consumer genomics marketplace with a conversation we had with Robin Thurston, the CEO of Helix. Definitely check that one out if you haven't heard it yet. This week, in the second part of that two-part mini-series, we're going to be focused on unlocking the science. Hello and welcome to DataPoint, the podcast where we focus on all the ways that data and analytics are driving innovation in healthcare. I'm your host, Greg Matthews, and today our guest is James Liu, the Chief Science Officer at Helix. He is both a medical doctor and a PhD with a focus in machine learning, genomics, neuroscience, and medicine. He has some fascinating ideas about the role genomics is going to play in changing the way that medicine is practiced in the future. Stick around. I think you'll enjoy this one. James, thanks so much for joining us on the DataPoint podcast today. I uh, appreciate it, Greg. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So I, uh, as our listeners know from last week's episode, uh, we got a little bit of an introduction to the genomic, the consumer genomic space from Robin Thurston, your colleague. But I am really curious to dig a little bit deeper into, you know, some of the origin story uh, with you as a, as a co-founder of, of Helix, uh, as well as some of your personal background. And I wonder, could we start there? Can you tell us a little bit about how you came to be, uh, you know, the founder and uh, uh, chief scientist of a, of a personal genomics company? Yeah, happy to. I think maybe just starting from the beginning, I started my career you know, as an engineer. So I was a chemical engineer at Stanford University and then spent a little bit of time in pharma after that. But I learned kind of through that process, I was very interested in, like we say, clinical care as well as in early, kind of fairly early stage technology development. And so I went back and trained as a physician scientist at Baylor College of Medicine in Houston, Texas. And um, it was an amazing time to be there because um, Houston um, has one of the world's largest sequencing centers. And so when I was doing my PhD work, I was really learning and cutting my teeth on what was then some of the largest genomic data sets being generated in the world. Mm-hmm. And some of the early work that was starting really bridge large-scale sequencing um, and its use in the clinic in particular to resolve some of the really hard-to-diagnose diseases in pediatrics. And so I was really focused on can you employ exome sequencing to determine um, if there was even a genetic cause and if, that, if we could identify that, is there a, a treatment for these children? Um, and so... I did a lot of that work, did a lot of algorithm work in that space, and then moved on and uh, was really focused on the idea of leveraging data out of the medical records um, that would be generating every single day in the clinic and using that to d- discover um, new associations with disease, looking at, for, looking at that data for um, potential targets for um, therapeutic development, et cetera. And so I moved on and started a laboratory at Duke University where I was focused on this particular question and the algorithms around it. Um, meantime, we were, we were thinking a lot about, you know, what eventually became Helix. And I think we had the central insight that genomic data has these particularly unique features. One of them, which is this is data that's inherited, um, from your parents. And so it's not changing through your life. Mm. And so the idea was ideally what you would do is you would sequence someone and allow that data to be used over and over again. Um, and, you know, as more we thought about that question of how would you enable a system where you would get sequenced once and essentially be able to query the data over and over again, it made a lot of sense to us that those data would be portable with an individual. That way they could take it to any place they need, you know, for personal use, on, especially for clinical use on the, uh, on the more medical side. And certainly if people want to participate in research, that certainly could be a value to them too. And so we really came across this idea of a central depository, sequenced once, queried off, and controlled by the user 
um, and that eventually became Helix. And so I was fortunate to help found the company uh, with my uh, previous classmate, Justin Cow, who runs the commercial side, and a good friend of ours, Scott um, Burke, who runs, who's now the CTO of the company. Um, and, you know, I've, it's been a real pleasure in the last couple of years to really focus on the scientific um, and clinical aspects of what we're doing and how do you really impact individuals from a personal sense, but also them in the clinical lives as well. I, I find that it's fascinating and it's so great to hear, you know, there are so many founder stories that, that don't wind up in success. And the fact that the, the three co-founders are still with the organization and still passionate about the mission, uh, you know, several years in that, that is, uh, that's pretty inspiring. I'm really curious to talk about some of your vision uh, as you started the company, you know, you talked about being able to sequence once and then have that be something that the individual can more or less carry around with them that can be portable to them. Can you tell a little mm-hmm. bit about how that works within Helix? You know, when you have people who come in directly to Helix or through one of your uh, one of your partners uh, to have their sequencing done, Tell me a little bit about what happens with that data, where it lives, how they access it, what their controls look like. Can you give us some background there? Yeah, happy to. I think um, maybe I take a step back a bit, which is one of the core predicates for this business is the idea you can generate one very high quality sequence and have that be um, something that lives with you, almost that you can carry forward in time. Mm-hmm. And I think it is, it is a more recent phenomenon that we can generate those data with confidence. And so if you really think about next-gen sequencing as a field, you know, the first genome was really complete in 2003. Um, it took a couple more years to do the second person in the world. We were talking about doing 100 people in the world by 2010, you know, 1,000 people around that time frame. And now we're talking about, you know, about a million, a million and a half people being sequenced now in the last, you know, mostly accelerated in the last, you know, three to four years. Yeah. So as you think about the continuum, right, there's been a massive explosion and massive growth in that field, um, largely driven by the technology development that Illumina has implemented but also that we had to get really good at sequencing, learning how to do that well and do it at a clinical standard, I think um, was, was something that the field had to just learn and get through. And so you know, one of the core predicates of Helix is you had to be able to generate this really high quality, clinical quality data set that you can make completely portable. And so one of the first things we did at Helix was we built a lab. And Helix now runs what is the, we think is, at least within the U.S., the largest clinical exome sequencing facility, um, certainly in the U.S., maybe even in the world. And one of the reasons why we did it that way is because we had to control the quality of the data sets to have confidence that if we came back to it in two years, it would still be valid. So that was one of the big pieces. The second big change around how we thought about this business and how we thought about the platform is that you wanted to be able to come back to the data over time, but not in a holistic, like I want to come back to 100% of the data. It was only to come back to the, the data in a way, almost like in a question-driven way. So mm-hmm. when we think about genomics at Helix, it's not necessarily about like we have a lot of genetics questions. I think we think a lot about what are the questions that either the individual has, the clinic has, or research has, and how does genetics help answer that question? Okay. And so when you think about the various applications like ancestry, that's rarely like a, I don't think people are walking around being like, I have a genetic ancestry question. I think people are walking around saying, I have a question about who I am. Yeah. And genetics is a tool they use to answer that question. When you think about carrier screening, which is um, typically a test that's given to women who are, you know, in their first pregnancy, mm-hmm. um, who are trying to understand what diseases might be carried within their you know, genome and that might be inherited by their child. The question isn't, what are the inherited diseases I have? The question really is, how do I have a healthy child? Right? Sure. 
And so we think a lot about where are the questions, and those questions typically are subparts of the genome. They're not whole genome questions. They're typically, hey, I have a question that queries 10 genes or 50 sites or whatever it happens to be. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of our platform building has been focused on how do you answer just the question you need to answer and not answer the 50 other questions you hadn't even thought about yet. Right. And so we focus the platform on how do you almost generate these in silico panels or fully digital panels of the genome mm-hmm. and allow people to use that just for the answering the specific question. And so the way Helix works today is if an individual um, accesses a product or an application, um, those products access only the portions of the data required for the product. And so typically the way to think about it is health things only ask only ask and look at things related to health in your genome. Fun things only look at fun things. You don't have a lot of cross. You don't have, you know, companies that are purely recreational looking at a lot of things on the health side, et cetera. And part of that was to make it um, easy to answer the question. But the second part of that is it's privacy preserving for the individual. So they can Absolutely. also make their own individual decisions about the types of data they're willing to expose to parties they trust and how much of that data they're willing to expose. Outstanding. And so it's, it's very much very much focused on, and he looks at the orientation, it's very much focused on what is best for the user. Was that idea a part of your original vision to be able to create that digital representation that could be divided up into into segments to, uh, you know, A, be targeted, but B, protect the privacy? Yeah, I think it, it was. Um, you know, I, I like to believe that even, you know, five years ago when we first started talking about this or even farther back, we had thought about exactly like this. I think it really did crystallize by the point we had founded the company, though, that in order for this to be successful in the long run, you needed a way for not only yourself, but for you to be like, my mom is here, my cousins are here, my spouse is here, my children are here. I need to feel good about that. Mm-hmm. And so we need to make sure that the consent processes, the privacy policies, the terms of service, all these things are um, supportive of that overall mission, that this should be a place that people trust, where they're going to have long-term um, relationships of where their genome is going to be held. And so that, that was a lot of the formulation of how we got the business started. And yet it's still, as I understand it, a very different model from businesses that are genotyping as opposed to using next-gen sequencing, where they literally will just have enough data to serve their specific need for that moment, but either little or no more than that. In other words, it's not something that you can, you know, do an ancestry test today and then three years later, you know, do some sort of a health test or a carrier screening, right? That's right. Yeah. So the, the, we, we really focused on next-gen sequencing as the core technology versus genotyping um, because we wanted, the, we wanted us to be future-facing because we did believe the future of genomics is a next-gen and that it would be, we would look back at the period where we said, oh, genotyping array was enough as a fairly low resolution time. And so um, next-gen sequencing, I think the way to think about relative to a genotyping array is if, you're, if your DNA is a book, a genotyping array essentially is picking out single letters and trying to piece together the story. Mm. Sequencing allows you to read full sentences, full pages, full chapters. And so we thought that the completeness of having essentially your whole genome read or the portions of your genome read that are relevant for genes um, was a much better stance on a go-forward basis than starting with something more limited. It takes a little bit of pressure off of you, Helix, because you don't have to anticipate every possible use case. Um, that's something that can be done for years into the future and still go back to the same source, right? That's absolutely right. So just as the, the genome being the unique feature being it's inherited doesn't change, um, 
it's it's a really ne- unique set of data in which there's no almost no no time component to it, right? It's not different when you're 18 than when you're five. Right? Mm-hmm. The thing that is changing is knowledge, and so the idea that scientific knowledge, the clinical knowledge is advancing, the consumer side is on all levels of state data set gives a lot of flexibility to to frankly not have to anticipate what the world's going to be like in five years, except right. to know that what we have today will be relevant. Fantastic. And that is actually a great place for us to take a quick break. We're going to be right back with James Liu from Helix. So stick around. Today's show is brought to you by Blue Spire, a full service digital marketing agency focused on complex and highly regulated industries of healthcare, senior living and financial services. Rapid changes in the healthcare industry are causing consumers to seek out trusted advice, demand more transparency and access to information and content. With over 30 years of healthcare experience, Blue Spire knows how to help you reach, communicate with, and gain trust from these consumers. We help you engage with the right content at every touchpoint, from the first symptom search to appointment scheduling through care management. Visit us at bluespiremarketing.com to learn how we can help you deliver relevant, engaging content through ever-changing touch points that matter. And we are back on DataPoint. We are talking today with James Liu from Helix. James, when we went into this break, we were talking a little bit about Helix's novel approach to the use of next-gen sequencing uh, and the fact that it has you know, the potential for essentially being future-proofed because the data is there and uh, as future applications are uh, created or imagined, uh, we can still go back to that sample. But one of the reasons that you're able to do that to bring you back a little further in in our uh, interview was you talked about a clinical quality uh, sample and to be able to process that uh, in your lab. Can you talk a little bit more about what clinical quality means in the context of uh, exome sequencing? Yeah, I'm happy to. Um, I, I, I think the, the first thing to think about actually is the types of use cases of the data that you want to enable. And, and that kind of drives the questions on quality side. And when we think about people using this data in not only for personal use for fun, but really for clinical decisions down the road. Like if, if someone finds out through a partner application or through a service or a clinical lab um, that's leveraging Helix data that they have a risk for, or a very high risk for a BRCA mutation and that leads to breast cancer, you know, people will make serious medical decisions based on those data. And so for mm-hmm. us as an organization, we want to make sure the data is high quality as possible um, and, and to make sure that people can make the right decisions based on those data. And so we just take that very seriously because we know people will make life-changing decisions. Um, and the reason why we talk a lot about clinical quality uh, in order to reflect that is that we can certify the accuracy of all the, all the calls or the varying calls coming off our data. We know the reproducibility. We know that data exquisitely um, because we run at such large scale. And we can build all our processes to make sure that everyone who gets a sequence-generated helix gets a very high-quality bar that's reproducible across every person who walks in the door. And so just that level of comfort that you can use it again and again in all sorts of ways is um, the type of, uh, frankly, the type of bar that we set internally and we think is the right bar externally as well for everyone to have. It's as, as the more we talk about this, the more uh, amazed I am uh, that you are able to make this vision become a reality because what you're describing with the kind of lab that you're, that, that you've created 
that sounds like a much higher risk proposition for a new business than, uh, you know, to have another lab do your sequencing for you. What was it that made you feel that this was the right way to go, even though I'm sure it's more expensive, probably took more time and more money? How did you know it was going to be worth it? Well, I think, first of all, like we, we clearly could not have done this without you know, great support from our investors and partners. So like Illumina being a big supporter of the company, um, obviously we've had great investments. I think it, it, it's part of them all buying into this vision that we do think the genome will be almost um, something you do one time and really get to carry over and over again. And so if you do believe that model, then I think it makes sense to make the investments up front to ensure that you can use that, you can leverage that model over time. And so we were fortunate partly in, in our ability to take the vision, but also that we were willing to find great partners of ours to invest behind that vision. Um, yep. You're right, though. It is a capital-intensive business. Um, and if you ever get the chance, you should come visit us in San Diego and get a look yourself. Um, but it is, uh, in many ways, we modeled, the, we modeled the laboratory off some of the best-in-class manufacturing processes in the world. And mm-hmm. very much for us, we process one really, really high-quality assay that we think encompasses the vast majority of use cases, the data today. And we only do that. And so we do one thing just really, really well. And that's, just very, that's a little bit different than other clinical labs, which typically are smaller and have very, very large test menus. Um, so they run you know, 10, 20, hundreds, thousands of different types of chemistry in the same laboratory, sure. which makes it you know, harder to optimize the way we optimize here. No, it makes a tremendous amount of sense. And I think as a consumer, as a an individual being able to put my trust in that it feels a lot easier knowing uh, the heavy focus on quality and security and repeatability that you obviously do. Um, yeah, that is that is pretty exciting. It feels like a long time ago, I asked you a question that I want to come back around to, which is really about the consumer and their ability to control what happens with their data. Um, I wanted to, I wanted to come back and understand that a little bit better. Um, once, once I have, you know, sent a sample in again, either directly to Helix or through one of your application partners, how do I access my data? Um, how, how do you, how do you help the, uh, the customer to understand, you know, what that data consists of and how it's stored and what their rights are with, uh, uh, with regard to accessing it and so forth. Yep. So I think the first thing is um, Helix does control the end-to-end supply chain. So even if you came in through a partner, Helix is the one sending out all the kits and receiving them back. Mm. Um, so we do, we're very clear about uh, what we call chain of custody, which is if we send something out, we want to know it went to the right person that came back to us in, in the right manner as well. So that's one part of our kind of quality system that we we're also you know, monitoring relative to, you know, including all the other things that are happening at the laboratory. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of access to data, it, it is very much, I think, when you look at the store, you look at the variety of things you can do, it's very much focused on what are the questions people have. And so people typically come in for, you know, ancestry type questions, they come in for carrier type questions, they come in for health questions, they come in for a variety of things. Some of them mm-hmm. are purely recreational, some of them are very serious. Uh, we like the idea and I think it's been proven out, is that um, experiences that are focused on contextualization of genetic data are better than just experiences that focus on genetic data. What I mean by that is people are often good at or better understanding the data when it, it's focused on a topic they care about in a way that they understand. And so we're, when, we, when we think about the partner model, a lot of it is about generating the right type of content, the right type of education, 
the right type of experiences around how to think about that genetic data in your personal context. And one of the big motivations for setting up the store also is that we didn't believe Helix as an entity could be good at all those different use cases. We just don't think it's possible that you can be good at everything related to possibly providing content around genetics. Mm. And so we're very focused on this idea that there are focused applications people can use to help them answer the question they care about. And if they want to come back for more, there will be other applications at the time it's appropriate for them and people can make their decisions at the time they want. You know, clearly there are people who are power users who want to access full data sets. That's an option too. You can, you know, have a download, a data download option on Helix so you can certainly get your data. Hmm. We find that, you know, almost no one does that because frankly, the data is <laughs> unintelligible to almost everyone. Right. Um, you'd have to be a, you have to be a real power user, right? It's not different than like, you technically can download all your data from Facebook. I think the number of people doing that is very, very low, right? It's just right. unintelligible to most people. So we think yeah. people have the right it's our philosophy. People have the right, but it's also, you know, our goal is really to make sure people generate value from it and understanding, not necessarily is have raw data. No, that totally makes sense. And I guess one of the things that I am really curious about, and I think we can probably uh, close out our conversation with this, you referenced the fact that as a part of your uh, doctoral program that you were working a lot with health records uh, and, trying to do some work to understand uh, and make sense of health records at a, at a large scale. And certainly I think when you have the potential to couple genomic data with health record data, for example, it paints a, a you know, in some ways a much more complete picture uh, of an individual's health. And I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about your, your work there and whether the health record might be something that you come back around to at some point. Yeah, I'm happy to. You know, the, the reason I really like health record data, and I still continue to really like health record data, is that the data are being generated every single day and every single time people come into the clinic, right? So it, the data is actually a byproduct of the normal flow of healthcare in America. Yep. And it is, frankly, a massive opportunity and, frankly, a missed opportunity for many years and that the data were not digitized, uh, but now they are. And the second one is they're used only for clinical, but they're not used for research. And I think there is a big opportunity in driving improvements in healthcare, both on the operational side, but also just novel discoveries um, through leveraging those data in the right way. So I think it just remains a really, really untapped resource. In terms of the ability to drive genetics and, and health record data, and something that we're, we've been thinking about, and we're starting to look at with some of our health system collaborations. Mm is what are the primary use cases where those data together generate a lot of uh, insight? And I think there are a couple things that, you know, just really to highlight there. The first one is there is a good, there's a really good opportunity, and I think it's already being validated, that we will discover a new therapeutic, a new diagnostics by combining those data. And what we mean by that is there's clearly people who have disease in the system um, that is not explainable using other techniques, but maybe mm -hmm. explainable using genetics, and yeah. that those may end up being um, eventually, drug targets down the road that help us really transform the treatment of XYZ disease. Sure. So I think that's one of the primary use cases, which is around discovery. The second one is really about risk. And much of genetics is a prediction of a disease that may occur in the future. Mm -hmm. And you know, genetics is only a portion of the picture. I think it's, it, I, we would be remiss in saying genetics is the whole story. In many cases, in most cases, actually, genetics is just a portion of the story. Obviously, yeah. environment matters a lot. Those data have historically been completely separated. And 
is there a opportunity for comprehensive risk assessment, given what we know about your lifestyle, what we're bringing, what, either through questions that we're asking you in the clinic or maybe even through trackable um, plus genetic data, does that data together provide us a much better view of comprehensive risk and how to, frankly, defer or eliminate risk by making different choices on either your treatment plan or in your lifestyle? So how do we kind of use that as a mechanism to predict and then use that to mitigate? I think that's the second uh, major opportunity. That is extremely is exciting. And yeah. I'm sorry to cut and, you and off because I'm dying to know what the third no, no, one no. is now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually think there's just one generally in, 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 um, in operational efficiency, which is individuals who have it, part of it's the risk assessment. But if you focus your resources on those individuals who have the highest risk that are uh, most likely to have disease, um, that are most likely to benefit from intervention, mm. you transform the cost curve in healthcare. And I think that's one of the big problems today is that, you know, the cost curve constantly is upwards to the right. So um, we just, I think it's something we just need to think about a lot more about, particularly as we bring genetics into the preventative realm and how do we leverage it really for focusing on individuals to make sure they stay healthy and not just help them when they are already sick. That's a really good point. I know there are so many uh, conditions where there's a lot of trial and error uh, in the treatment process. Uh, and if you could eliminate a few of the trials on the basis of genomic data, you know, combined with health record data to get to the right solution faster, that would be, yeah, that has great health outcome, but also great financial outcome as well. Yep. Very I think the, the earliest case of this, which is more genetically driven, but it's talked about in the clinical system, something called a diagnostic policy. So these are individuals who are uh, constantly very sick and we have no understanding why and run through batteries and batteries and batteries of testing. And, you know, the evidence is now emerging that early sequencing in these cases can be dramatic in terms of avoidance of all that other imaging and testing, all these other things, because, you know, it, it allows you to get to the answer quicker. And I think that's just a very easy to bite off first example of where that will, where that is. And I think that's kind of where the model will go over time, which is how do you leverage this in a almost a first line way. Genetics yeah. becomes a standard of care used first before you start doing a bunch of other things. Well, I think that is a, a fantastic place to leave this conversation, James. It has been uh, really enlightening for me and I know for our listeners as well. I'm so grateful for you spending the time with us um, to share your experience and uh, hope that the, the next few years are just as exciting and fulfilling for you at Helix as the, as the last several have been. Um, thanks so much for being with us. Thanks for having me. It was a real pleasure. Thanks so much for listening to the Data Point podcast. If you like what you've heard, please do rate, review, and share it with your social network. It means a lot. And if you have ideas for show topics or guests, please email them to me at greg at healthquant.health or send a direct message to at Chai Moose on Twitter. That's C-H-I-M-O-O-S-E on Twitter. For more information about this show or any of the terrific healthcare podcasts in the Touchpoint Media Network, check them out at touchpoint.health. See you next time. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.